0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Throughout August, over the next few weeks, we're going to be doing things a little bit differently here at Power Hour. Now, whenever I speak to people about this podcast, the first thing is they cannot believe I've been hosting this show for almost five years. And the second thing is they always ask me, which episode should I listen to first? Who's your favourite guest? Where should I start? Now, There's been hundreds of incredible guests on this show. And so whenever I recommend some of my favourites, people often have to scroll back through years and years and years to find those episodes. So throughout August, we thought we'd share some of those episodes and replay them here. And we're going to start off this week with my interview with Olympic athlete Tom Daly. Now, this episode is one of my favourites for lots of reasons. We recorded this after lockdown. I was still recording from home. This was October 2020 and Tom was... Preparing for his final Olympic games. Now, this conversation. Tom has so much energy. He's so motivational. He has such a just such a joyful energy. And we talked about his first ever journey to the Olympics when he was training from just age seven, age eight years old. We talked about the power of visualization and also about what happens after you achieve. So, what happens after you win the gold medal that you've been training for for your entire life? You know, I think it's something that is often overlooked or athletes are un- unprepared for and it was really fascinating to hear him speak so candidly about that challenge about the mental challenge that he faced after the games how he had to find motivation and cultivate a mindset to continue after what he described as being one of the darkest times of his entire life. Tom is, of course, a decorated Olympic athlete, but he's also an inspiration to so many people for so many reasons. So let's dive in to one of my Power Hour all time favourite episodes with the one and only Tom Daly. Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker, and author. Each week, I speak to a variety of guests, from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, changemakers and innovators, to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today's guest is one of our nation's favorite athletes who started competing at just nine years old. He is double world champion, Olympic bronze medalist, and the only person to ever win the BBC Young Sports Personality of the Year award three times. He was named by the Sunday Times on their list of 100 makers of the 21st century, and in 2017 he won the Independent Influencer Award by the British LGBT Awards. Welcome to the show, Tom Daly.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: I mean, honestly, Tom, there's so many things I want to talk to you about right now. But first up, two things. One, you're training aboard right now, so I'm very jealous that you are in the sunshine <laughs> because the weather here in the UK has been terrible but two, uh, the fact you're making time for us in between your busy training schedule to do this recording, I am so, so grateful.
1: No, you're very welcome. No, I'm excited because we've been trying to make this work for a while. And to be honest, it's funny because although my training camps are so intense all the time, like I'm training at the moment, eight till 11, and then we're doing three till uh, 6.30. So the training is pretty intense, but In between that, I have so much more spare time than I would at home because I'm not looking after a toddler. I don't have to cook and I don't have to clean up around the house and I don't have to travel to and from the pool. So I actually end up having a little bit more time. So it's it's nice.
0: Great. So here I was thinking you're working hard, but actually you're hardly working.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've been, you know, again, I've been crocheting, I've been knitting in between training sessions, you name it.
0: Wow. Well, as I said, so many things to talk to you about today, but I want to take it back, like back, back, back. So pre 2012. And you know, it always shocks me that you are so young. You've achieved so, so much. And also you don't appear to ever age, Tom
1: seriously. <laughs> I don't know about that, I, I feel old. What's you know, going the, on? The wrinkles are going to show soon I'm sure. <laughs> no I mean you're looking good
0: but yeah the reason why I want to highlight 2012 is of course because of the London Olympic Games. You were only 18, were you 18 at the time? Yes. Yeah only 18 and as I said you'd already achieved a lot before that but the lead-up to the Olympic Games you know the buzz was incredible, it felt like the whole world was watching so I want to know really what it took as I said before that because before the awards and the TV show and and all of that I know you know I've spoken to other athletes on this show and also some friends and you know the hard work the training the discipline the sacrifice that it really takes so what was that journey like I guess from being age seven to then you know that trajectory to being double world champion and representing Team GB at the Olympics
1: I mean it was you know it's one of those things like where do you start it's such a it's such a journey I mean Yeah, when I I started when I was seven and it was just like a fun after school club that started. And I just go each Saturday morning and just plop in. And then I just started getting good Uh, and I started competing. And then I got talent scouted by like a talent identification program. And they took measurements of how tall I was, how long my arms were, how high I could jump, how many like sit-ups i could do in a certain amount of time how many press all that kind of stuff and then i got put onto this program which was called world class start um which was them trying to funnel in as much talent as possible to gear towards london 2012 um i was on the younger side of that stuff and i remember just falling in love with the sport but it didn't come without its challenges i mean from i used to I used to cry every single night that I went away on training camps. I used to hate it. I used to hate being away from my family. Um, I used to cry when I had to learn new dives because I was terrified. I, it, You know, I love diving, but at the same time, it absolutely terrifies me. And still to this day, I get terrified when I stand on the end of that diving board. But, I mean, it was tough to manage The grueling training schedule on top of doing uh, school and getting ready for GCSEs. I mean, when I was in year eight, I went to my first Olympics um, in Beijing. I qualified when I was 13. So then that came with its own challenges at school and people not understanding what I was doing and how successful I had gotten really quickly. Um, But, you know, it was all the whole big picture was London 2012 at the age of nine. I had a medal book where every competition that I went to, I drew around the medal and wrote what the competition was, where it was, what place I finished, and how I felt I competed. So I did that with every single medal that I won for the first few years. And in the front of that book, I drew a picture of me doing a handstand with the Olympic rings and said London 2012. So, you know, that visualization of like, I know that this is what I'm going to do and this is what I want to do more than anything in the world. And, you know, I think this is so powerful to have visualization of your goals and knowing where you want to be and knowing that each day is just a little stepping stone towards that ultimate dream.
0: Wow, that's absolutely amazing to hear that, as you said, so clearly that you firstly that you were so young, you know, as a parent myself, my son's nine now, which is kind of crazy. But to think about that, as you saying, you know, you cried, you didn't want to, you know, you were terrified that diving because I think maybe people would assume that with the success that you've had, that yeah, you kind of, you know, you were born to do this. And you've just had this, you know, uh, laser focus, and the, the determination means that you would just, you know, turn up every day, you're hungry for it, and you want it. But the reality is I guess is you can have all of those things and it's still difficult it's still challenging you're still a human being you're still emotions you still you were so young but also that that powerful visualization of actually drawing it writing it I think that is something that as adults is is very powerful but especially for children I think children have such a an amazing imagination and their their ability to visualize things without limits because they Mm. haven't lived in the world that's limited them and told them oh you know don't don't get your hopes up or or that's unrealistic they don't know the word unrealistic so maybe that as well had maybe that played a part too because you probably do you know what i mean about not thinking that that's that's an that's a an audacious goal but it was like yeah that's that's the goal
1: yeah absolutely and there were so many times along the way where you know throughout our testing and our training camps we used to get measured with our splits and our flexibility and how many pie cuts and i remember so clearly one of the coaches in particular was like you're never going to be able to do this you will never be able if you cannot do this you are the bottom of the class on every single thing but you can dive you're not going to make it for the long haul and I remember sometimes when you get I mean I was like nine years old ten years old and you're being told these things and like if you're being told that you're never going to be able to do something you know some kids are like oh okay well then I may as well give up now but I remember that being like you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna show you don't be, you know you can't tell me I can't do anything I'll I'm gonna do it and beat all of your divers and you know, that's what I ended up doing <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, indeed, I bet he's, uh, yeah, he lived to to witness that. And I think I I spoke about that recently myself in in the book I've written, because I think having that I can prove you wrong attitude, as you described, it can be detrimental. But if used in the right way, it can be, yeah, incredibly powerful. So I guess moving on from that, you know, you had so much success. And then obviously the games, as you said, that's what you'd work towards. That was, you know, it was the vision. And you, I think after that as well, you know, you catapulted into the kind of public, you know, life and TV shows and everything so I guess from there yeah where did you go from there and how did you manage to keep I guess a a mindset around training pushing yourself physically and mentally keeping a momentum and an energy because I'd be tempted to kind you know what guys I've done it put my feet up and you know enjoy you know but you're still going
1: yeah I mean London 2012 was one of the best years but also one of the most challenging years i mean i lost my dad the year before the olympics and that was a really really challenging time for me because it had always been our dream because we had like you know i trained every single day so many hours traveled to so many places competed in so many competitions and my dad was like my biggest cheerleader and i remember going into those olympic games i was like you know what he's not here but I have worked my ass off to get here and I have trained so hard and I've done everything in my power to be here. When I'm, you know, at that point I've been diving for 11 years and I was like, you know, this is, this is it. I've trained for 11 years for these dives. If I mess up any of these dives, that's it. That my whole life that I've spent doing this is for one moment. And I remember when I finally got when I got the medal like, I'm not someone that shows like immense, like motion, like cheering and things like that. If I get step onto a podium, but I remember standing onto that podium and there was this like wave of adrenaline and I felt like I could touch the roof and it was, you know, to see my mom and my brothers waving in the audience and just being like, it was, yeah, it was a moment like no other. And that high, was just so incredible. And I, you know, I rode that high for, you know, a few weeks. I mean, i just turned 18. So you can imagine all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I can go out and I can enjoy myself and I'm loving it. Um, But after that, I, you know, I dropped into, you know, some of the darkest times in my life because I didn't visualize past London 2012. It was one of those dreams that you never thought it was ever going to actually come. And you always were like chasing it, thinking, oh, it's we've got loads of time, we've got loads of time. And then all of a sudden you're living it. You've done it. And then you're like, what now? And I remember, you know, I started to try to go back to diving and I just felt like I couldn't and I didn't have the motivation. I was like, what am I going to do now? Do I really want to carry on doing this? All of these opportunities came to, to me and I was like, do I just go down this path rather than, you know, I was thinking about all kinds of things. And it got to a point in March 2013 where I was like, you know what, I I can't do this anymore. And I stopped. I was like, I can't do it. Um, And it just so happened that it timed out with me traveling to California for some TV work. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go do this. And this is what I want to do. And that was when I met my now husband, Lance. And that was when everything changed for me in terms of mindset, perspective, you name it, and I finally realized all there were so many things that I was struggling with and come, trying to come to terms with but not understanding, and all of a sudden I had this new wave of motivation, um, not only because I've fallen in love with someone but also because I, you know, Lance, my husband himself, is a very successful person, so that in itself kind of gave me a bit of motivation to, you know, drive forward and he was the only person that could really understand what it was like to win an award because he won an oscar in 2009 and then how much pressure comes with that and how the you know after that is really difficult to get yourself back up and back going again and because it's hard to talk to any of the other divers on the team or athletes about it because often they'll just be like well you just won an olympic medal why what are you moping around about like what are you on about but it's so, it's it's a really, yeah, it was something that I never, ever planned for.
0: Oh, so fascinating, Tom. Honestly, I'm listening to you. And I, that yes. was such a powerful story, the way you described, you know, the feeling standing on the podium and what it meant to you to to be there and... And to, yes, yeah, not have your dad there to witness that and and after all that hard work. And then, as you said, describing what happens next, because, as like you said, people don't think about next. You just that's the goal. No. That's the finish line. So what what happens after that? And it's so amazing that, yeah, you did meet your husband and that he was able to, I guess, you know, like you said, he's been through it in a different way, being able to understand where you were at and to kind of help to yeah motivate you to get you i guess you're on the same page right when you're on the same page it clicks that's it you feel it and 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 it's amazing yeah. that even falling in love you know i think having that um just that energy around you you know it's exciting and there was something else you mentioned there and it made me think um when you talked about almost other people not being able to relate and thinking, well, you've just won this medal and everything must be great. So therefore the pressure and everything's changed because as your success has happened, and I guess as you've leveled up, the pressure's also leveled up, the expectations leveled up, everything around you has leveled up, not just, you know, how do you, where do you go from there? How do you, yeah, that's it's fascinating, really, really fascinating. And so now you're training again, you were training, I guess, for 2020 for Tokyo and then this year, I mean, we got to talk about it. What has this year been like for you? I know for other athletes having that goal, you know, this four year training cycle that is so structured and geared towards that, that, that one games. It's never happened before, right? It's never happened before this, this, the uncertainty and then being canceled.
1: Exactly. There's, I mean, there's been cancellations of Olympics completely through world wars, um, but nothing through a pandemic. And it's, I mean, it's, it, it was really strange because I competed in Canada in uh, at the beginning of March so just before lockdown um I had a bit of a rough start to an Olympic year to be honest I broke my hand in January so I was you know already on the back foot or backhand if you like um going into this year um and then I competed in Canada and then we came back and we were getting ready to go to a competition in Russia um but once we got to uh I think it was like March 20th, something like that, when the lockdown announcement came, we were like, okay, well, this is, I mean, what happens now? We've got the Olympic Games to train for. How can we just not train and not do anything? And then the IOC came out with, okay, we might be postponing it. We'll make a decision in a few weeks. And then you were waiting for a few weeks, and we didn't know if it was going to go ahead. And then they announced that it was going to be postponed, and then we didn't know when it was going to be postponed. So it was like all of this uncertainty um and it almost like felt better once they said you know what we're going next year same dates or move slightly one day or whatever but um we're gonna move it to next year and then we're gonna go for a tokyo 2021. uh that kind of gave me i think i tried to use lockdown as and i tried to see the positive side of everything like i got to spend so much more time with my son um in this year than I ever would have if it was an Olympic year I mean at the beginning of lockdown he could say a few words and things like that but now he's having like full-blown conversations climbing on everything he's grown so much so I would have missed that whole phase so I'm very grateful um although however it is obviously very sad everything that's going on but you know Spending that time with my son and my family, it puts things into perspective of what actually matters most. And I think if everybody could get perspective on, you know, because people can put so much pressure on themselves with their jobs and school and, you know, for me and my sport, but actually what matters most is keeping everyone safe and healthy. And so now, and especially with my son going into competitions, I don't necessarily care as much how well I do um, because I know that I'm going to go home to that support system and feel their love and all that kind of stuff, which in turn allows me to compete better because I don't worry so much about how I'm going to do. And I also got to spend so much more time working on the things I never would have. Uh, For example, flexibility, yoga, stretching, doing like visualizations of all my dives, things that you know, kind of get pushed aside when you're like full training, like you feel like you never have time to do the stuff that takes lots of time, but is really beneficial. So I was able to really strip back to the things I needed to do. Um, And I've now come out of lo- the other side of lockdown in much better physical condition, much better mental condition, and excited for the year ahead and just almost feels like a almost like a victory lap, a bonus year that I didn't think I was going to have. So it's kind of like, you know, balls to the wall, give it everything you've got, arrive in Tokyo. You know, the, the aim is to arrive into Tokyo and stand on that board in that competition and be able to say to myself, I have done everything in my power to be in the best possible position to do my best today. And if I can arrive feeling like that, I'll be a happy man.
0: Yes, a bonus year. You see, I love that optimism. I'm an optimistic person too. And as you said, this year, yeah, it is sad. It's been really difficult for a lot of people for different reasons, but seeing it and viewing it in that way of, you know what, this has been a bonus year because I think for many people, they've been given the time to do something they wouldn't have necessarily done before, whether that's more time, you know, children are off school or less time working. We're focusing on those other things. As you said, I really like that idea that it's a bonus year. It's given us extra time to, yeah, recharge the battery to refocus and yeah I'm excited for you we'll all be watching of course uh, next year when the when the Olympics goes ahead and yeah that and I love that idea of a bonus year so I've had other athletes on the show and one thing you know I'm always in awe of professional sports people the, the dedication the mindset the kind of you have to you know to become the best in the world I really I mean I don't know what it takes I've never done it but what I witness and that dedication just continues to inspire me but now I think you know the modern athlete the world that we're in now as well as training as well as being a competitive athlete you also have you know personal brands you're also you're also public profiles yourself so how do you manage you know I know you have a YouTube channel your YouTube has had over a million views you do weekly content on there you use other social channels and as I mentioned TV shows events how do you manage all of that alongside this laser focus and training
1: it's it's interesting because I find with social media, I just don't think about it. I'm not obsessive over social media. I just post as and when I have something to post. I'm not someone that thinks, oh my gosh, I need to post this on this certain day, and oh my god, I need to post this. I mean with branded stuff it's slightly different, but with the stuff that's me, I just um post when I want to post what I want to post I tried the whole I need to post every single day or every other day and I need to use these hashtags or whatever and I was just like you know what this isn't how I start why I started social media I started social media to stay in contact with my friends and the people that wanted to follow my diving career I don't post things for people to uh, you know I don't worry about engagement. I don't worry about if I'm increasing in followers or losing followers, I'm just on my own journey and I'm doing my, like, I'm doing me. And if you don't like what I'm doing, you don't have to follow me. And that's the kind of, you know, mindset that I have with social media because you see so much, um, you know, so often like people being consumed by social media um, and they live their life for social media. And I think having a son has allowed me to, you know, be more present, and not think, oh, I need to take a photo of that for Instagram or, oh, I need to do this for Instagram. And actually just enjoying the experiences and just being, you know, being in the moment. And I think that's something that I've learned in the last couple of years that's really been, I don't know, it allows you to just enjoy life more.
0: Yeah, it sounds like from what you're saying today that fatherhood has really impacted you in that way. You know, I think when I last saw you face to face, I think it was it was a couple of years. Maybe uh, uh, do you remember it was in it was for an Adidas event and you were actually expecting Robbie then. Yes,
1: Yeah. it was. It was uh, like- yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, because it was literally just before I went to I flew across the state. So yeah Robbie was born at the end of June and I think that event was like end of May or something like that it was you know yeah yeah yeah, I remember
0: we talked about it because my son's birthday is also in June and I was like oh June's a brilliant time for babies and yeah Yeah. it definitely sounds like fatherhood has yeah had a big impact on as you're describing your mindset with training with competing with with just life in general which of course is to be expected it changes your whole life but you know this year I guess if you because I know you share sometimes Vlogs and things like that, and I just think this year in general, having this ability to you know document things and look back on them, I guess it's kind of become normal we're just having these conversations that like, yeah, we're in a global pandemic, and yeah, and it's like we're actually living through history, and so in some ways, I think being able to document and share not just this year but kind of everything we do it's going to be so different for our for our children to be able to see all of these things that we're doing, hear our podcasts, watch our videos, you know we didn't we don't have that for our parents, right.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And that's kind of that was another reason why I started YouTube was because it was I was going away to all these amazing places. And then I would think, oh, what was that place like? What did I do? What did my dives look like? How was I feeling and all that kind of stuff. And that's why I carry my camera everywhere with me. And, you know, I create, you know, I do at the moment, I'm doing this thing on YouTube called daily diaries where each week, you know, I have when I started it, there was 49 weeks to go until I was going to be finished with the Uh, Olympics in 2021 so already on week six which is insane and I only started in September so it's going to go like really quickly but having these little videos to like look back on and think oh how was I feeling in September or how was my diving going when I was you know halfway through the season and being able to just look back on that I think is because the only thing that I'd ever done previous to that was in 2008 in my first Olympics in Beijing I wrote a diary and I had like this every day I would write what I did in the day, how I was feeling, any little stories I have. And now I'm able to look back on that of how I was feeling as a 14-year-old Tom. Then I did the same for 2012 and 2016. So having that little diary was something that it was, it's sometimes nice to be able to look back on things like that.
0: Absolutely. And I'm sure, obviously, their entrepreneurial brain is taking over. And I'm already thinking, can you imagine one day if you were to publish those diaries? Tom, come on, someone's,
1: <laughs> know, gonna, someone's really gonna listen to this and be like, yes. I look back on it and I'm so, like, some of the things that I talk about and some of the things I say, I'm like, oh my gosh, Tom, what were you even <laughs> thinking? But it's it's funny
0: it's cringe but at least I mean at least it's the photos I think back now when I look at things being that young you know we forget you were 13 the things that you write is one thing but imagine the photos I mean Tom my eyebrows when I was 13 no one never needs to see that
1: <laughs> I was uh, yeah I I uh I literally I just got my braces off my teeth to go to the Olympic Games and I remember I you know I was it's funny I was just a really like short really short really little and like I was the youngest on the team and I I look back and I just think I was like I was a baby I knew nothing I knew absolutely nothing about what the Olympics was how it works what the scale of it was and I was like able to really innocently go and enjoy an Olympic games which without any pressure or any worry or any concern and I think that you know I miss those days of not having those expectations and you know, it was the year after those Olympics in 2009, when I won the world championships. And that was kind of when the whole, it wasn't just oh the young one that's going and competing and doing well, it was like, okay, he's winning. So now, of course, he's going to win every single competition. And then that all of a sudden, it was like, oh, this isn't just fun anymore. This is like some serious business.
0: Wow. Yeah. And I guess for the next one for 2021, uh, for that Olympics, I don't really know, you know, with with the situation, is it going to be, have they described yet? Is there going to be a crowd? How do you think it would affect you and other athletes if you were to compete without a crowd?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, nobody knows. We don't even definitely know that it's going to go ahead or not. We've, uh, you know, we've heard whisperings of like, oh, there needs to be a vaccine before it goes ahead. Definitely with spectators, there would need to be some kind of vaccine or is there going to be uh, an occasion where it's no spectators? How will that affect um, diving competitions? I mean, as long as all the divers can be there to kind of create some kind of atmosphere, I don't think it'll affect things too much. Um, but I think the whole point of the having the big crowds, that's what feels like you puts the pressure on you. And that's where people who have done lots of Olympic Games before would have an advantage because they know what that feels like. So the people that are coming in as new athletes i think would feel more comfortable without an audience so you know there's there's advantages and disadvantages to it all really Mm -hmm.
0: well i guess we'll have to wait and see time will tell as i said documenting this year even listening back to this podcast you know it's as we we said we don't know everything changes there's so much uncertainty right now but we'll have to wait and see what happens with the olympics and who knows maybe because for some events like the 100 meter sprint you need to have those athletes side by side but for something like diving you know you're getting scored potentially you don't even need to be in the same place maybe
1: yeah i mean the the thing is the only consistent thing that would need to happen is for it to be the same judging panel so, because because it's subjective, if you have seven different judges judging different people, they the scoring can be a little bit different. Um, but you can definitely socially distance diving, even in the synchro. I mean, the boards are three meters wide, and we stand two meters apart. So when it it's just the, I think the big challenge is the Olympic Village because they have ten to fifteen thousand people living all on top of each other, all sharing the same food hall all going on the same bus system. Everyone's, you know, in, everyone's really, basically you end up living on top of each other. Like you're in like student accommodation, it becomes like a really busy university campus. So if one person gets it, that it will just, you know, spread all the way through the whole village. And I think that's what the, the concern is going to be. It's not so much when you're at the facilities, but more so the living arrangements.
0: Yeah, I guess, you know, the the logistics of getting there and back when you consider that everybody's coming from literally around the world into one place, it's kind of like it's a high probability and then going away and taking it around the world again. So, yeah, let's just wait and see and pray for that vaccination.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well...
0: So the power hour, I don't know how much you know about my power hour and the concept, but essentially it's all about the first hour of the day. So I call that hour the power hour because I believe that it impacts the rest of your day. And I encourage people to reclaim a bit of their time in this busy world that demands so much from us. From the minute we wake up to the minute we go to bed, I encourage people to say, take the first hour. Your time is yours and do something that you want, whether that's running, stretching I don't know drinking your tea reading anything you want in that hour and I think since I've cultivated this practice in my life and the people that I speak to who create a really structured morning routine it's been so impactful and it's just been a game changer in all areas of my life so that's the uh, little whistle stop of the power hour concept and I'd love to know from you what time you wake up in the morning and what the first hour of your day is all about
1: I am a massive believer in that. Like, I think it's such a an important concept. I, you know, my son wakes up at seven o'clock. So I set my alarm for six o'clock so that I do have time for myself. Because I know previously um, I had set my alarm for 6.55 just so that I was awake. just So when he wakes up at seven kind of thing, when actually I just then felt like all I was doing was you know, obviously you want look after your son, that's the most important thing, but you just go, go, go all the time. So waking up, I wake up at six. First thing I do uh, is have a couple of glasses of water. Then I head upstairs, I make myself breakfast, I make myself coffee, I watch the news and I sit for about half an hour, 40 minutes and either crochet or knit for like, just that's like, that's my mindfulness for the morning. You know, I used to do like specific mindfulness, like breath work. Um, But then, you know, this kind of like crochet and knitting thing kind of became my way of just being completely present and stripping it back and not trying to, because you can't get ahead of yourself. You're just there and you're, I know it sounds really silly, but like you're just looking at the stitches and you can't get ahead of yourself and you can't think about what you've already done. So it's about that feeling of being in the moment is something that's really important to me because i feel like that sets me up to be really calm for for the rest of the day because i am so like on the go i'm training i'm working hard i'm here there and everywhere coming back looking after robbie cooking dinner all that kind of stuff so being able to have that moment of just sitting down like because i know lots of people might want to be up and moving in that first hour but because I do that all day it's like the almost the opposite for me it's my chance to sit still and do nothing which is rare
0: that sounds great yeah I think the importance of stillness is something I definitely need to embrace more and make more time for because I'm similar I'm always on the go we're all busy people right I think the world demands so much from us now that we just are trying to do so many things juggle so many things be multifaceted be on 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 all the time so I think yeah if you're going to use that power hour to as you said, be still, be present, engage in something. And I like, as you described, you're just looking at the stitches or you're just looking at that, that the detail. I guess there's a couple of things. One is you can't necessarily think about lots of other things because you're focused on that. And two, I think it's like a nice sense of completion that you can look and you've actually done something. You can see like, oh, I've, I've, I've not necessarily finished it, but you've, you've created something
1: yeah no exactly that like and you see progress and you see things and you like creating something and also like i never make any anything for myself i often i'm always making something for someone else and i think there's something that's really nice I, i love doing that i love being able to make things and give things to people because i don't know i think there's something about really like important about being grateful for the things that you have in your life because there's, there's always somebody less fortunate than you. So being able to be grateful for the things that you do have is really important.
0: No, I'm loving, I'm really enjoying what you're saying. And I think you're so right. It's the small things that are the big things. I think this year has definitely taught me that. I'm someone who pre this year was like, right, in 2020, I want to do this, I want to go here, or, you know, this marathon. And actually this year has made me focus a lot more on the small things and really valuing that those things ultimately are the most important and they are the big things. It's been absolutely brilliant to talk to you today, Tom. And my son, my son, he's going to be really, really excited to listen to this episode. He has a book, which is called Stories for Boys Who Dare to Be Different. I don't know if you know that book, but you're in there. Yes, Yes, obviously you're in there. So he has that book. We've read it. And yeah, I think he's going to be very impressed that I've been talking to you today on the show. So before I ask you my closing question, which I asked all of my guests, can you tell, I mean, I ask people, where can we find you online? Where can people see what you're up to? But I feel like, you just type in tom daly
1: (laughs) yeah i mean uh i mean i've got my youtube channel which again is just tom daly my instagram is tom daly twitter i don't really use twitter as much anymore but you know instagram and youtube are my two main things where people can keep up with what i'm doing
0: brilliant okay and so my closing question which i asked to each of my guests is all about time and it is if you had one extra hour in every day, there's now 25 hours every day, what would you use your extra hour to do?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Depending on which day you would ask me, I would either say sleep, um, mainly because with uh, a little one, it can be sometimes challenging to, sometimes you just want an extra hour's sleep. Um, But honestly, I think I would just, If I could guarantee an hour of um, crochet or knitting, I think that for me, like since starting that at the beginning of lockdown, it has changed my mental state so dramatically that I can like to be able to get out of my head is something that I really used to struggle with. Like I would always be thinking about Diving and what I needed to do, how much sleep I needed to get, what I needed to eat. And I was always like, I found myself spiraling quite often. And that, you know, as a hobby is really been able to allow me to get out of my head more. And I think there's something that's really powerful that you can get so much more out of your day if you're able just to get out of your head, uh, just for that hour.
0: Brilliant. Well, I hope some people will maybe try it and give it a try if they've never done that before. If they're looking for something, as you described, that's mindful to help them switch off and unwind, then give it a try. Give knitting, give crochet a try. I guess even if you're a newbie and a beginner, I'm sure there's there's, uh, some simple things people can try to get started
1: yeah i mean i started just on youtube tutorials i mean i was frustrated at the beginning don't get me wrong because it takes a little bit of practice but once you've got it it's so therapeutic
0: brilliant thank you so much tom i've really really loved this i could have talked to you for ages and thank you everyone for listening to the show if you enjoyed this episode which i'm sure you did then let us know remember you can rate and review on itunes spotify acast all of that and have an amazing week thanks so much for tuning in see ya